Perhaps you guessed the subject of the talk tonight is kindness, loving kindness, goodwill. And it's been such at the heart of my practice, so to speak. Um, been practicing for almost 18 years and this has been about two and a half years of silent retreat practice. So I really love and value the silent retreat practice. But for 16 of those years, I was in the work world uh, full time. And at the heart of the practice in the world, in the work world, was qualities of wise intention, right intention, which include the intention of loving kindness, goodwill, benevolence, the intention of compassion, and the intention of renunciation, which for those of us who are not monks and nuns, renunciation means letting go, letting go of needing or wanting things to be other, letting go around making our happiness dependent on goals or outcomes in the work world or in our personal lives. I have to say, for many years in my practice, I thought there was retreat practice, and then this sitting practice at home, and there was the other stuff in my life, and not much mindfulness and that other stuff in my life. And it was only when I really decided, well, I can't quit my job, have a partner, responsibilities, just wasn't my call to become a monk. I felt that pull, but and I decided, well, I just had to bring the practice fully into my life. And it was most of all this quality of both mindfulness and kindness, just checking in throughout the day on my intention. Before a phone call in a meeting, was the intention for kindness and goodwill, or was there ill will, hatred, fear that was present? Being present to acknowledge that, but also offering the intention of metta to support myself, to support the waking up process that can, can happen as a part of our daily life as well. And I have to say, when I really brought the practice into the whole of my life in that way, my retreat practice became that much deeper because it, wasn't, it no longer felt like I was coming in outside from a storm into a retreat where it might take me four or five days begin to, sit, to begin to settle down. I'd like to begin with a story of uh, King Ahsoka. Maybe a few of you have heard this story. King Ahsoka lived 250 years after the time of the Buddha in what is now northern India. And even though it occurred almost 2,300 years ago, I really think it's a story for our time. It's a story about a king and a monk. And it's really more about the monk's great kindness and this unattached kindness, this quality of loving kindness where there's no attachment to outcome or needing the other person to behave differently. So King Asoka ruled for about 30 years in this kingdom in northern India, what's now northern India. And in the initial years, he was known as a very brutal king. Uh, it was said that he deported over 200,000 people from his kingdom. It's kind of astounding to me to recognize that there were deportations happening that long ago. And also over 200,000 people died in battles 
with the neighboring kingdoms. So he is known as being brutal uh, to his own people and at war with the neighboring kingdoms. And after one especially brutal battle with all the carnage on the battlefield, after the battle was over, the king saw a muck, serene, at peace, walking undisturbed right across the middle of the battlefield with all the carnage. And the king was moved by this serene presence and spoke to the muck and asked the muck how he came to be so peaceful. How was it possible? And the muck responded with kindness even to this person who had caused all this harm. And you think of what the muck might have done. He might have approached the scene and he might have looked toward the forest on the side and said, I'll go to the beautiful forest and avoid this unpleasant scene. But he walked right through. He might have gotten angry at the king. Might have We could feel he would be justified in saying to the king, how could you do this to these people? How could you kill all these people? But he didn't. He remained serene and at peace. He could have ignored the king. He could have just walked right by without speaking to the king. But he acted from a place of kindness, from a place of compassion that recognized the suffering of the king that recognized King Ahsoka, like every other being, wants safety, happiness, health, and ease. So this monk shared the Buddha's precious teachings. And the king became a practitioner. And he became known as a benevolent king, kind to his people, at peace with neighboring kingdoms. He was really his heart was transformed. And the king's son and daughter also became practitioners and they carried the practice to Sri Lanka and from there the practice was carried to Burma, what's now Myanmar. And as many of you know, many of the Spirit Rock teachers uh, received their training in Burma, Burmese masters. And so we're practicing the form of practice, Theravada Vipassana practice that's carried forward from Sri Lanka and Burma. So you could say we're directly connected to that moment of the king asking the monk, how did you come to be so serene? And the monk acting from this place of kindness and compassion and sharing the teachings. I don't think that nameless monk knew that he would have that impact on the world. He was just present. The underlying forces of greed, aversion, delusion that cloud the heart and mind were not present. In their absence, kindness and compassion were present. Peace was present. And the inspiration is for me that in any moment when we practice with a sense of kindness and compassion, We can have impacts in the world we might not even know about. Truly the practice begins right here in our own hearts.
I'm hoping there's someone like this name, that nameless monk in this time period who may impact world leaders in that same way. May it be so. So metta is often described as friendliness, benevolence, loving kindness. It's an unattached kind of love. So it's different from the love we feel for our partners or spouses or children, parents. Naturally, we have attachment to those people in our lives. But metta is this quality of loving kindness, of caring, that opens up to all beings unconditionally, beginning with ourselves, but opening outwards. It deeply recognizes all beings want safety, happiness, health, and ease, just like we do. And when I first heard the teachings on metta, I, I thought it was just kind of off to the side from the main serious practice of mindfulness, but it's not true. It's clear in the Buddha's teachings. It's right there in wise intention. It's a key aspect. So that's why when I share instructions on the meditation practice, I really emphasize this quality of kindness, sense of relaxation, a sense of ease. It's right there in the Buddha's teachings. So it can really open up in a very beautiful way to really this beautiful quality that comes forth when metta is present. Really, when the metta is strongly present, there's a sense of being a light in the world with that sense of loving kindness. It can really break through the, the sense of separateness between self and others as we cultivate this intention for kindness. The power of how deep it can go is expressed by Deepama. Deepama was one of the great practitioners. She was one of the most deeply realized beings of the last century and a teacher to several senior teachers here at Spirit Rock. Uh, Amazing story of Deepama that she lost her husband. Her husband and two of her three children died in a short period of time. And then she became a practitioner and quickly realized great advancement on the path, deep realizations. And she was quoted as saying that before I used to discriminate, this is my friend, these are my relatives, and there was attachment. Now I feel loving thoughts and metta towards everyone. I don't discriminate. I don't say this is my daughter and I have to give her more attention. My love feels the same towards everyone. Pretty amazing statement (laughs) to be in that position where the love is open so deeply that the love for all beings is the same as what one feels for one's own child. So metta is the very opposite of ill will, of hatred. When there's no ill will or hatred present, then metta, then loving kindness is present. Metta seems to be an innate quality of the heart. It's just naturally present when we're fully present, when the forces of confusion are not present. A quote from Sharon Salzberg, who wrote the Bible on loving kindness for our practice, a book, her book titled Loving Kindness. I'm sure you'd find in the library and the bookstore here. 
from Sharon Salzberg, for all of us, love can be the natural state of our own being. Naturally peace, naturally connected, because this becomes a reflection of simply who we are. So this great power of love that becomes a great quality for healing. On my own uh, website for my group, I have had posted for the last 20 months the same quote from the Buddha, which is, hatred never ceases by hatred. Hatred is healed by love alone. This is the eternal law. Hatred is never healed by hatred. When we see or hear someone acting with hatred, responding from hatred isn't going to improve the situation, isn't going to allow the healing. And the Buddha's words, this interpretation that hatred is healed by love alone acknowledges that hatred is really an illness, like a disease, and the cure is love. This is the eternal law. I love this quote because it's true both at a big picture level, a societal level, a worldwide level, that the healing will happen through love. And it's true at a personal, individual level. The difficult stories in our lives, difficult emotions of, of anger or sadness or grief or fear, the healing is going to happen through this practice of mindfulness with the support of love. That's the only way the healing can happen. This is the eternal law. So it's very important too to keep in mind that the Buddha emphasized this loving kindness quality begins with oneself. Really key. The Buddha said you can search throughout the entire universe for someone who is more deserving of your love and affection, and that person is not to be found anywhere. You, yourself, as much as anyone in the entire universe, deserve your love and affection. It really begins right here. If we can't open to loving ourselves, it's tough to open to love for others more deeply, more fully. And just recently I saw a quote from the Buddha that I read in a book by Analio. Some of you may have been here on Saturday. He's really quite an amazing teacher. And the quote in his book um, from the Buddha, and the Buddha ranking individuals on the sense of compassion, on their sense of compassion, And the Buddha identified four categories of beings. He said there were those who felt no compassion for themselves and no compassion for others. Ranking lost. Next is those who feel no compassion for themselves but compassion for others. Now the surprise. Ranking higher than that is those who feel compassion for themselves but not for others. Isn't that interesting? He ranks those who feel compassion for themselves higher than those who 
don't feel compassion for themselves, but still feel compassion for others. And of course, the highest category is those who feel compassion both for themselves and for others. And we can really use the practice of loving kindness, this basic intention of loving kindness as a tool of self-care in the world and in our practice. We can use the phrases, there's the loving kindness phrases that many of you may be familiar with that, that are, may I be feel safe, may I be happy, may I be healthy, may I be at ease. I teach a 10-day metta retreat every year and up the hill and practitioners are instructed just to repeat those phrases silently in every waking moment of the day. Very powerful and transformative practice. Remember first being here on a metta retreat, I didn't know that was going to be the instruction. And when I heard the instruction, I thought, I can't do that, I'll go crazy. (laughs) But staying with the phrases, it really does the work. The phrases were actually introduced a couple hundred years after the time of the Buddha. The Buddha just provided the instructions for cultivating this intention. And later on, Buddhist teachers uh, added, came up with the idea of using these phrases that are a powerful tool. I really learned how to use these phrases as as kind of a self-care in my hospice volunteer work. I was a volunteer for many years, first with Shanti Project during the AIDS crisis, and then again um, more recently, beginning I think in 2010 with a Zen Hospice Project in San Francisco. And I would come onto my shift, especially those first six or eight months, and my predominant feeling would be, I'm not good enough for this. I really have no special talent or skill to do this work. And I was aware of that feeling because I did have this mindfulness practice. And we'd been instructed to always do a meditation before beginning our five-hour shift. So I'd sit in the living room of the guest house and do my meditation. And I learned to start by offering metta for myself. A powerful tool. It just would soften the heart, allow some sense of arriving, still allowing the acknowledgement of that feeling of fear, of not being good enough. And just a sense of connecting then that allowed me to enter the room of the residents who are dying, being with their family members. And I could be more fully present because I felt some basic sense of kindness for myself. And I could connect more empathetically with the people that I was with. The instructions for volunteers was to sit, listen, and breathe. Very much much like our instructions right here in meditation, just to sit, listen, and breathe. So actually the gift that I was providing, the gift that all of the volunteers were providing, was simply the gift of presence, just being present. And I think it's a gift that everyone here can offer, whatever amount of practice you have, you have some idea of the value of simply being present, of listening deeply, paying attention deeply, 
a gift we can offer a loved one and family, friends, in times of need, maybe complete strangers in times of need, just to be present. So often I found in my volunteer work, it would open the door for forgiveness and healing, for the heart to really open for that gift of presence. I really learned in my hospice volunteer work to trust the heart, trust the heart more than this thinking process. A great quote from Thich Nhat Hanh that I wish I'd brought, but the quote is basically, wisdom never arises from thinking. (laughs) You notice that? (laughs) It comes from the direct awareness. You could say it comes from the heart. So many times in the hospice work, especially the first year, I was surprised. I would suddenly begin speaking words to acknowledge the kind heart of the person I was with or to hold their hand and there's no thinking behind it. These beautiful heart qualities just coming forth from presence. Just one very short story of being with a resident, uh, uh, Mary. She had uh, been there for about six weeks. The nurses said she had no cognitive ability whatsoever, that she had a stroke and never showed any responsiveness. She was paralyzed on one side of her body. Uh, but one week, I, I would, every week, I would sit and hold her hand for 45 minutes or so and really felt a very kind heart presence with her. But one day, we were sitting and we heard a glass break in the next room and a cry out for help. And Mary immediately raised her hand. The first time I saw her, lift up her arm and she waved and pointed for me to go help the other person. So where does this kindness and compassion come from? When we practice with kindness and keep checking this intention, cultivating this intention of basic kindness and goodwill, we really find a greater capacity of the heart than we might have ever thought possible opening to all the suffering of the world, opening to compassion, compassion being the recognition of suffering, the wish for it to end, and open as well to all the joys of the world. I was feeling it this morning. I took my dog for a walk and uh, we ran across a five-year-old walking to school her second week of kindergarten, walking with her father and she wanted to stop and meet my dog and pet my dog. And then she wanted to tell me all about her dog and how the dog guy got its name. It was very sweet. I felt a lot of, a lot of joy for her joy. Just this responsiveness of the heart. And things can change so quickly. I turned the corner, literally 15 seconds later, I heard a cry of anguish and saw someone who had been struck by a car and the immediate compassion that arose and uh, saw people gathering around, providing a blanket, holding the man's hand. Saw the person, I'm sure heartbroken, standing next to his car who had hit the person. It was clear the person was going to be okay. It didn't appear life-threatening. So, But our life is so fragile. 
it does require a great capacity of the heart to open to all of these joys and sorrows, but there's such a great aliveness when we open this way, and the, the loving kindness really provides that foundation. So a couple short examples of how I've used this practice of kindness. When I get lost sometimes, like everyone else, I get lost. And I got lost one day. I was working. I walked with my partner down to the theater at 16th and Mission. I live in the Castro. And uh, if you know San Francisco, 16th and Mission is not a pretty corner. It's a lot of drug and alcohol addicts, addict addicts, uh, homeless people. And I felt anger toward what I was seeing, a very kind of unusual feeling to feel anger about that. And I saw the first half of the show and should have been enjoying it, but I wasn't. And finally, at the intermission, oh yes, I have this practice. What's going on? Uh, I was feeling aversion. A friend earlier in the day had told me a story that I had found upsetting, and I didn't want to deal with it, and I was just contracted around it. So I was feeling aversion toward everything else. Ah, I'm suffering. Just that simple acknowledgement of I'm suffering it's an act of compassion. You know, maybe when we're feeling back pain when we're sitting, maybe we're impatient in traffic, just that acknowledgement, I'm suffering as an act of compassion. I didn't need to figure out or deal with a story then. I just needed to acknowledge I was suffering. I could be kind to myself. Then I enjoyed the second half of the show. And I felt I could see the people in front of me when I walked out of the theater. No great overflow of compassion, but I could see if someone asked me for money, I could see their face, acknowledge, acknowledge them, be present. So sometimes we're not able to open to loving kindness, even though we know we should. The other day I was in traffic and was moving right along with the flow of traffic and someone got in my bumper at three feet away going 60 miles an hour. And I'm like, oh my gosh. And I could feel the contraction. I don't want to pull over. I don't want to let them go by. But ill will. No, I'm going to pull over. This is unsafe. I want to open. I want to open to loving kindness, even for this person. I didn't. I did pull over. I could feel the impulse to want to honk the horn. But I didn't. And as a result of at least not acting on the feeling of ill will, I didn't have that rippling through effect that might have lasted for several hours if I'd acted on that feeling. Maybe now I can feel just a tinge of kindness and compassion for that person who must have been in such a rush that they had to drive that dangerously. We can really bring this intention, the way I tried to bring intention into my work life, the intention of kindness, was just to keep checking throughout the day. I'd have the intention to check in before meetings and phone calls. I rarely actually did it. You know, maybe got it one out of 20 times. But just catching it enough again and again, it started to change the grooves of the heart and mind so that more and more kindness compassion came forward, even in the workplace. I know someone who works as a coffee barista practitioner and 
tells me how he brings that intention in meeting every person at the cash register. The intention to be kind to every person, even if they're impatient, working that early morning shift. We can bring it into our lives. I was reflecting today too on the great leaders of the world and of our generation, of the, maybe the past generation, who really made changes in the world as a result of the foundation of their hearts that were filled with loving kindness. People like Gandhi, Martin Luther King, Nelson Mandela, Mother Teresa. Of course, His Holiness the Dalai Lama lost his country of Tibet to the Chinese government. And the Chinese government, he refers to Chinese government officials as my friends, the enemy. Isn't that great? My friends, the enemy. That's an attitude of kindness of metta. And that quality that came forth for Nelson Mandela, that even after all the years of oppression, he could open to reconciliation a reconciliation process without any sense of needing to get even, even inviting his jailers to his home for dinner when he became head of the government. In this great quote from Martin Luther King, we will match your capacity to inflict suffering by our capacity to endure suffering. Do to us what you will and we will continue to love you. There's a new leader in Africa who I think has great promise of being this kind of leader. His name is Abiy Ahmed. He's a recently elected prime minister of Ethiopia. 80 different ethnic groups in Ethiopia, uh, a large Christian and Muslim population. He's probably the perfect leader. His, his mother's Christian, his father's Muslim, and he has a PhD in peace. <laughs> Isn't that cool? Shouldn't every world leader have a PhD in peace? So he's frequently quoted as saying, love wins. He became prime minister earlier this year. His main message on a national tour after his election was that we are now on the path of change and love. He released uh, political opponents from his own political party and invited the leaders who'd been jailed as well to his house for dinner following the Nelson Mandela example. Just a few months ago, a bomb was thrown at him. Two people were killed. He was okay. Many others injured. Afterwards, he said, love always wins. Forgiveness wins. Killing others is a defeat. The spirit of metta. I don't know if he even knows the word metta, but he's practicing metta. I want to tell one, uh, one more story. This is a story of Abraham Davis. But it's uh, about his transformation, but it's about the quality of loving kindness, forgiveness, compassion, generosity of some mosque members in Fort Smith, Arkansas. So a couple of years ago, Abraham Davis painted hateful graffiti on a mosque. And he was arrested and he felt remorse almost immediately. And he wrote a letter to the mosque members asking forgiveness. And they forgave him publicly. 
And they even went to the courthouse asking the judge not to convict him. And he was really moved by this. And he wrote again to the mosque members and said, I hurt you all and I'm haunted by it. And even after this, you still forgave me. You are much better people than I. The judge convicted him and he served six months in jail. He had to pay a $3,200 fine and he had to perform six months of community service work. So he was doing the community service work at a goodwill, unable to find a job because he couldn't afford a car or even a bicycle and he lived in a rural area. So he was unable to pay the fine. So he was close to going back to jail because he couldn't pay the fine. And the mosque members came forward and paid the fine. Isn't that amazing? What, what generosity. And it was reported by a reporter for the New York Times what happened. And people felt moved by the whole story and sent money to Abraham so that he could afford to buy a bicycle. And he was able to get a job at a gas station convenience store that he really liked. The reporter wrote about this, that at each time when each side of the political divide seemed sure the other side was crazy and maybe even evil, it was an antidote. It helped people see that Americans actually have a lot in common, that our mutual capacity for tolerance and kindness is quite large. A woman named Linda Brown said the story was a reminder that most Americans aren't the caricatures we are presented with over and over again. Abraham was stunned. He expected to be mocked. Instead, he was praised. This flew in the assumption that he didn't have the right to take up space on the earth. He'd been written off by school, by the society, by the world of educated adults. But here were complete strangers telling him he mattered. He said, it just kind of blew me away to have people messaging me from all over the world saying, hey, I read the piece about you. I want to tell you it inspired me. In talking to the reporter, Abraham said, it's a great weight lifted being off my shoulders. I don't deserve it, but this act of kindness It's just, wow. So even the neighboring university offered to help Abraham if he'd get his GED to get him into college. And Abraham went on further. It's crazy because I was thinking of a lot of things and going back to school was one of them. It's like a whole new window just opened up. It's like somebody who's been locked in a padded room and has never felt the wind before. I'm just in awe of this moment right now. And then he sat back and looked intently and said, I want to say I regret what I did. But at the same time, I don't. It's kind of like a flower just sitting there, waiting for the right drop of water to tap its petals, to open up and reveal something beautiful on the inside. It's like words of poetry. It reminded me of this poem I I found. It's almost the same words, it's amazing. 
a Galway Canal poem, a few lines from the poem from St. Francis in the Sal. Sometimes it is necessary to reteach a thing its loveliness, to put a hand on the brow of the flower and retell it in words and in touch. It is lovely until it flowers again from within of self-blessing. Something we can do for ourselves in offering this basic intention quality of metta for ourselves. So we can really become lights in the world by practicing loving kindness, by just cultivating this quality of metta. And this quality of love that doesn't stand in opposition to anything. It's not love versus hate. Love loves. So we practice this quality of cultivating kindness, goodwill, benevolence. Remembering the words of the Buddha that hatred never ceases by hatred. Hatred is healed by love alone. This is the eternal law. For me too, in my own practice, the recognition has been important that the freedom is incomplete if there's anything whatsoever that blocks the heart. So in my own practice for the last several years, really making a diligent effort to waking up to a white privilege, the privileges I've enjoyed as a white man too. I think for many years I thought because I was a gay man, I knew what oppression felt like, but it's a different experience than it is for people of color in our country. It's waking up to the sense of entitlement, the real yuckiness that has sometimes arisen in my life. Waking up to recognize the forces of greed and hatred that have created the institutions of racism in our country that have contributed to the ancestral trauma for people of color. A beautiful quote from James Baldwin I imagine that one of the reasons that people cling to their hatred and prejudice so stubbornly is because they sense that once hate is gone, they will be forced to deal with their own pain. I encourage you to really set this deep intention. Deep intention on the cushion on the chair when you meditate intention for kindness, for caring. It really supports the practice on the cushion. It supports the practice in the whole of our lives. It supports human connection. It supports the clarity that we're completely interconnected, that there's no separation whatsoever between any of us. No separation, even from the moment of that monk sharing the teachings to King Asoka almost 2,300 years ago. And we really recognize, in effect, we recognize that these are innate qualities of awareness, you could say innate qualities of the heart. In effect, we really surrender to metta, to loving kindness. There's this potential that we not only do metta, but that we be metta. Those were words used by Analio on the teacher's retreat last week. He 
he talked about being metta. When we open so deeply in that way, just as that monk must have opened to being metta. And it opens to joy. I feel a joy right now talking about metta for this time period. I feel joy. And this is the direction of our practice. It leads in the direction of joy. Words of the Buddha, live in joy and love, even among those who hate. Live in joy and health, even among the afflicted. Live in joy and peace, even among the troubled. Look within, be still, free from fear and attachment. Know the sweet joy of the way. And I should add that joy doesn't mean denying suffering. The joy the Buddha is speaking to here is kind of a contentment joy. We still need to open with this path of practice to to suffering, the first noble truth. There is suffering. A great quote from Bishop Desmond Tutu. We are meant to live in joy. This does not mean that life will be easy or painless. It means we can turn our faces to the wind and accept that this is a storm we must pass through. We cannot succeed by denying what exists. The acceptance of reality is the only place from which change can begin. So, I think we have time for any questions or comments, and uh, much gratitude for your presence and attention for the talk. There's a microphone someone will have. Uh, how does that work? People go back to the microphone? Some helpers have microphones. So just raise your hand if you... Hello. Hi. I have a question about work and bringing loving kindness into the work environment. Um, I'm currently in a situation where I'm struggling to make a decision to stay or go. Um, I am certainly imperfect in my practice of bringing that to work. Um, And at the same time, feeling challenged to decide whether this is an opportunity to lean more in or whether the suffering that's created in the dynamic is it's okay to walk away from. I know there's not really an answer, but it's something I'm really struggling with and wonder if you might have some words to share. It's a a great question. It um, is helpful for me too in pointing out one thing I didn't emphasize, which is the quality of acceptance that deeply supports the arising of loving kindness. So, to accept the present circumstance, the difficulty, different difficult personalities, maybe to even accept this is not the place for me to be. Um, and most of all, to trust the heart. And there's, there's probably some thinking and evaluating that will be helpful, but ultimately trusting the heart on what's useful. And being kind and compassionate to yourself, most of all. following the Buddha's teaching. So to acknowledge the discomfort that you may be experiencing in the workplace environment, that's suffering. 
the natural response of the heart is to acknowledge the suffering and wish for it to end. That's compassion. So being present, kind, present for yourself, most important tool. Compassion begins right here. Kindness and compassion begin right here. So it's not, not a perfect answer I have, but hopefully that's useful in some way. Bringing in the word acceptance, because, mm-hmm. yeah, and it may be accepting to move on as well, because right. sometimes I think that's not accepting, that's resisting what is. So to think of that as also a form of acceptance is really helpful right now, I think, for me. Thank and then remembering those words that I offered that the Buddha said, more important to care for yourself than to care for others. Yeah, that ranking was very interesting mm. to really take that in. That like, oh, that's mm. right, that comes first. That's right. The oxygen mask thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. Hello? Straight in. Great. Okay. I sometimes feel that the compassion that I have for other people is in conflict with the loving kindness or compassion to myself, and I don't always know how to balance those things. And mm-hmm. I don't know if you have any tips. It's like it feels like sometimes it's all consuming to help all, other, all, all okay. consuming or like yeah. unhealthily um, compassionate. Does that make sense? Yeah, it does. It can be, we can fall out of balance where we end up not protecting. In caring for ourselves. It was an important instruction for all of us who are hospice volunteers to recognize boundaries and to recognize uh, that we couldn't, there were limits to what we, we could take on. And really the, the presence is what we we're offering, not to take on anyone else's burdens. So to be, again, to be kind and compassionate for yourself, recognize when it might feel like tipping over and losing the balance of protecting yourself, caring for yourself, and then being wise and taking a step away. Maybe if it's in a a workplace environment or a situation where you can, just take a one or two or three minute break or a five minute walk or something just to reconnect in the body. And the great tool to use in the workplace for the whole of our lives is just to keep reconnecting in the body. So when you feel you're offering someone to s- something to someone, maybe feel uh, losing balance, feel the body resting on the chair. Feel the breath. Maybe take a deep breath. Reconnect. And, and return to present. Thank you. Okay, thank you. Offering presence and not taking on the burden itself mm-hmm. as helpful. Thank you. Thank you. Anybody else? I think I might have spaced off on the what thing you're supposed to say to yourself. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, what is the what is the mecca 
I, I know you refer to it as Mecca, but what is that saying that you... Oh, so that the, the phrases, you can really adjust the phrases to, to what works best for you. The, the simplest version, all of them basically connect with a, with a wish for safety, happiness, health, and ease. Those four key phrases. So the, the phrases would be, may I feel safe? could say, may I be safe, but I personally prefer, may I feel safe? Uh, may I be happy? May I be healthy? May I be at ease? And then we begin to extend it outwards to maybe a good friend, and to begin to extend it outwards toward all beings. May you be happy. May you feel safe. May you be happy. May you be healthy. May you be at ease. And some people come up with their own phrases. I added add a phrase of my own of, um, may I be peaceful. It was really useful in my work life to have that intention for to be peaceful amongst the storms I had to deal with. And I uh, highly recommend uh, Sharon Salzberg, Salzberg's book on loving kindness. It's a pretty short read, but it's the kind of book you really want to just savor, just read four or five pages at a time, a lot of exercises, and uh, uh, a lot of instructions on using those phrases. And the best way to do it, the best way to connect with loving kindness is really to connect in the body, to feel the heart center, maybe to draw upon an image of ourself, maybe as a child, or some image where we can make a heart connection of caring for ourselves. And using that as a basis for offering kindness for ourselves. Uh, and often when I teach metta retreats, I really encourage people to connect with that image of themselves before saying the phrases, so connecting with a feeling. Sometimes it can be useful too to just connect with some qualities, some positive qualities in ourselves we can recognize, maybe our sense of caring about people in our lives, our loved ones, or uh, generosity, or patience, or a sense of humor, or any, anything else. And for some people too, it's best not to begin with ourselves. It, it can be easier for some people to begin with uh, a pet, like a dog or a cat. You know, how, how can you not feel loving kindness for your dog or cat? Um, but perhaps a, a teacher or somebody you have an uncomplicated relationship with and begin there and saying metta for that person first before offering metta for oneself. Um, If you imagine yourself as a three or four year old child and what you would say to yourself as a three or four year old child so then that can, you could be saying it to yourself. Beautiful, That's, that's a really powerful way to say metta. Got to feel love for that three or four year old. Absolutely. <laughs> Anybody else? I wondered if you could say a few words about how you deal with anger and how you work through that. Um, I've been struggling with it. It comes from a place of hurt and fear. But sometimes it comes up quite strongly and how do you how do you dissolve it I think but how do you I guess prevent it from coming up so strongly I guess 
or recognize it. And I'd just be interested in your thoughts on how you work through it or how you diffuse it. Well, first, it's good in your practice that you're aware of the anger, that the mindfulness is there to be present for it and to recognize that there's, there's suffering. So feeling compassion for yourself, even as you feel the anger, and then the tool of being present, being mindful, feeling the anger in the body. Maybe you'll feel the anger in one part of the body, being present for the sensations. Maybe they're unpleasant. Maybe there's contraction, there's heat. Maybe there's fear underlying the anger. So really being present with it, that allows the opening up and allows the force of the anger to lose its, its energy. And it's part of the practice of mindfulness, of our practice of present awareness, to be, to be present for the anger. Nothing wrong with feeling anger. To be present for the anger, to feel kindness and compassion for ourselves. And then wisely not to act on the anger. It's uh, a great thing in practice that we can be present for the anger, but not let it spill out. That uh, you know, I could I could feel that impulse and the freeway to honk my horn and kind of express the ill will and the anger that I was feeling. But we can cannot uh, get caught up in kind of magnifying the force of the anger by by acting on it in an unskillful way. Kind of meeting the the anger with love, just like the Buddha said, allowing the healing. He said hatred is only healed by love. It's the same thing. Anger is only healed by love. Love in this practice of mindfulness, supported by the practice of mindfulness. It's part of the process of purification and the path of practice to open to it all, but with a heart of kindness. I think maybe we'll end and uh, very grateful for your practice, for being here uh, tonight. And if we could just close by offering the merit of our practice just for 10 or 15 seconds, just to offer the merit of our time together and our practice. And may our presence in the world be for the benefit of all beings without exception. May all beings be free of suffering and the causes of suffering, may it be so. Thank you. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.